want to thank you for over 300 of you purchasing this Love Where You Live t-shirts. As a result of that, we've been able to purchase over 300 shirts to give out to the Waco community, and we're grateful for that. And many of you may be kind of wondering, so what's the next step? What can I do to be the change? And we want to invite you to the Poverty Summit November 6th, 7th, and 8th. If you're interested, you can register at baylor.edu slash poverty summit. Register right online. It's completely free. And it's a great way to be able to engage your life and figure out what does it mean to exist in a world where there is poverty. And I've been given so much talent and gifts and resources and opportunity. And if you're wondering how can I leverage my life to really make a difference, we want to invite you to be a part of both the Poverty Summit and Be the Change Weekend. We'll be also selling these shirts out in the lobby, and we'll have a table if you have any further questions about the Poverty Summit or Be the Change Weekend. We would love to answer those. Glad that you're here for chapel this morning. I, I read a hymn a few years ago. I read it in the hymnal, and I thought... It's a hymn I had never sung before, and I had never even heard it, and some of you may have, but we didn't really celebrate All Saints or anything like that in in my tradition growing up. Um, But I read this hymn that was written to kind of recognize that time, and it's called For All the Saints, and as I read the text uh, to to the hymn, I thought, this really reminds me of the saints in my life, and I'm hoping that that will do the same for you this morning. Um, saints in your life may simply be a grandmother who really taught you about the faith, or maybe it was a teacher who shared the love of Christ with you. Um, I don't know who your the people are who you can really draw back and say these were benchmarks in my faith journey. Um, but this hymn really reminded me of it. But to be quite candid with you, I, I looked at it and I didn't really like the melody. I thought uh, the melody doesn't really resonate with me. It was pretty hard to sing, um, so I've just put a different melody to it a few years ago, and I've sung it many times at different places. And again, this text was written over a hundred years ago, and so it's pretty meaningful to the body of Christ in the last uh, hundred years. So it simply goes like this. I want you to hear it one time, and then you can sing it with us.
please join me in a responsive prayer from Psalm 146. Um, I'll read the words in gray if you'll read the words in white. Lord, we have gathered to worship you today as countless others have gathered before us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Today we sing songs that have been passed down to us, songs that remind us of you. worship those who have come before us. We simply remember them and who they worshiped. You, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not put your trust in senses and human beings. cannot save Blessed are those who help in this God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. You are the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You remain faithful forever. You uphold the cause of the oppressed. You set prisoners free and give sight to the blind. You lift up those who are bowed down. You watch over the foreigner. You sustain the fatherless. You frustrate the ways of the wicked. Um, I'm here today to introduce Dr. McCormick to the stage. Um, he's the business professor of Business 1301 over at Handcammer. So all the business students in here, you've either taken his class or taken it now or you're going to take it sometime in the future. <laughs> um, also, as his time at Baylor, he's also been an associate dean. Pretty cool. Um, and as an Edison scholar, he could probably tell you more about him than you could possibly care to know. Um, on a more personal note, though, um, he's been one of those professors that's been there whenever I need him. Um, I mean, whether it's, you know, just to talk about speeding tickets, uh, family matters, or really just give advice in general, he's always taking the time out of his day to, you know, come talk to me, um, even when it's kind of short notice, just an email like, hey, can you stop by your office, you know, 2 o'clock? He's always had time to do that. Um, but without taking too much more of your time, uh, here's Dr. McCormick. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good job. 
you have, you have your fans out here too, I can tell. So, uh, all right. Well, good morning. As Ethan said, my name's Blaine McCormick. I probably have a few of you in class out in the audience, or have had you in previous semesters, or uh, maybe next semester, who knows. Uh, but I do teach over in the business school. And it is a, it's a great honor to have one's students introduce them to an audience. Uh, Ethan's uh, been a joy to get to know and, and to counsel, and I hope, I can't do that with every student in a 490 student class, uh, but the ones that uh, we do get to, it's always a pleasure uh, to do that. I'm here at the invitation of uh, the chaplain uh, to speak to you about uh, in, any uh, spiritual matter that uh, is close to me and that I think might be relevant. And so I've chosen today to talk about the role of the heart uh, in the life of a believer. And uh, so we're going to talk about your heart today and uh, what that means and how useful that can be uh, with a clear understanding of where that can take you uh, in there. I'm going to start with a, a just uh, a, a very simple diagram uh, that's going to come up here. Uh, it, just to say, you know, where, where your heart is. Physically, we know where our heart is, but I want to say this comes from a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a Baylor grad. He works out at USC now. He's written extensively about the heart with great clarity. I've learned a great deal from uh, Dr. Willard. And uh, there's a place inside of you that only you control. I want you to be aware of that. There's a place inside of you that only you control. And, and you have a multitude of influences on you. You've got social influences. You, you do things and you behave in ways and you pursue certain outcomes because it's socially the thing to do. There's certain pressures or... Uh, influences, uh, pressure is kind of a bad word, influences that move you to do things socially. Uh, your body controls what you do. Um, uh, you know, your body influences your outcomes in terms of if you're hungry, you'll seek out food. Your body says, I'm hungry, so you go eat. Or you actually, inside your head, there's an off switch physically. There's an off switch that if you don't get enough sleep, it turns off. You can't control it. That's why people uh, fall asleep uh, uh, regrettably behind the wheel or in class or other places because your body says it's time to sleep and I can't take it anymore. There it goes. Um, and so your body can control your outcomes. And, and even, even closer than that, your mind can control your outcomes cognitively. Uh, you can tell yourself, uh, I'm going to, you know, you, you can set goals for yourself. or You can say, I'm not going to do this or I am going to do this. And mentally, you can try to uh, tell yourself some things and control your outcomes. But deep, deeper still in there is your heart. And it's right there at the center of the diagram. And it's the place that only you control. And uh, there's a lot of uh, glib talk about the heart. People throw that around like, only trust your heart. Or what does your heart tell you to do? Or my heart will go on, whatever that means. But I want to tell you that your heart is where you choose, not where you feel. Your heart is where you choose. And I was given a very vivid illustration of this this morning at our own breakfast table. I went ahead and snapped a photo of it with my iPhone just to bring to chapel. There it is, the evidence, uh, about three millimeters of cranberry juice in a glass. My youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, Beatrice, is seven years old, and she's uh, just decided uh, to uh, make trouble with her uh, cranberry juice in the mornings. And so uh, we noted to her today that, uh, B, you need to finish your cranberry juice. And there's three millimeters left in the bottom of that glass. And she tells me, I can't. Uh, if I drink any more, I'll explode. That's what she said, direct quote. And we could make her do it, 
you know, we could force the cranberry juice down her throat if we so chose as parents, but that'd be being a jerk uh, about it, you know? Uh, so you can't really make people do the really important things in life. Let's note that for the record. Uh, but B has chosen, uh, this cranberry story has been going on for a while in our house. She will uh, overfill her glass and underdrink and always leave a lot. That was a good day, by the way. That was a very good day of cranberry juice. Usually it's just a, it's a chunk of it left in there. And then, so we'll put it in the fridge and bring it out. She says, this is old cranberry juice. And so, you know, it's, there we go again. She's chosen not to do her cranberry juice because deep within her, we can't change that. And, and deep within you is that same place. It's your heart. And if I tell you, you listen to me, you wake up and you listen to me like that, you just decided in your heart, man, this guy's a jerk. I'm not going to listen to him. Um, you know, you've done that with authority figures, uh, to parents, coaches, teachers, you know, officers, whomever. You've, you've chosen to reject that because I do it too. It's not like I'm immune to this because deep within me, there's this place that only I control. And so what are we going to do about that? Well, uh, let's talk about the difficulty of doing hard things. Um, I, since we're in chapel here, I'm going to talk about the discipline of confession here in a moment. I'll go ahead and put something out there. Um, this is from another family story. It's about my wife, uh, but each... Uh, each morning, not each morning, but some mornings, my wife, Sarah, uh, will wake up, and um, go running. And afterwards, she uh, claims that she feels better. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but I don't get it. I mean, I'm not a runner. I, I don't like to run. Don't ask me to run. I'm not going to run with you. But my wife, I mean, I'll see it. She gets up and she goes running. And she says she likes it. And I, I had to run once in high school uh, to try out for the football team. There was a timed two-mile run. And I made the team. I'm very thankful for that. But uh, I'll tell you, that, that, that two-mile run, that was the worst three days of my life. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm not a runner. But if I ask you to run a four-minute mile on the spot today, I said, let's go out and run a four-minute mile. That'd be very hard to do. Some of you could do that because you're conditioned and ready. Uh, but I, I can't do that. In fact, I've chosen not to do that uh, deep within me. Uh, my wife might be able to do that one day. Or I, I, if, if I said, hey, you know, if I said, let's play a violin concerto together, and that's a very hard thing to do. If I said, hey, grab this mandolin and do verse 3 for us. Will you do that? Uh, that's, that's hard to do. You know, that takes some practice. Or if you're in Business 1301 uh, in our class, we've learned that it, you know, it's hard to make a profit and create shareholder value and, and do that over the long term. It's a very hard thing to do. It takes a lot of work. You don't just walk in there and say, well, let's make a profit. Very difficult thing to do. So there's some difficult things to do in life. And uh, that reminded me as I was talking about this, about a movie I saw whenever I was uh, uh, in high school in the 80s. And I'm going to bring up a clip of that movie right now. You've probably seen this one, but uh, let's view this and uh, I'll talk about it in a sec. First, wash all the car, then the wax. Wax. Well, what do I have to wash all the car? Remember, dear, no question. Yeah, but I. Right. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on. Wax off. Breathe. In through nose. Out the mouth. Wax on. Wax off. Don't forget to breathe. Very important. Wax on. Wax off. 
Flex on. There it is. So Mr. Miyagi's onto something here. He knows that running a four-minute mile is difficult to do on short notice. He knows that winning a karate match is difficult to do on short notice. You know, don't just walk out there and do the moves you saw on television and hope things turn out okay. Uh, it's not going to go very well. But he was training Daniel as a master to do some things. And Daniel didn't understand it. Daniel, you know, the wax on, wax off, paint the fence, sand the deck, you know, all these things. Until further down the road, Daniel realized that what he had been doing had actually been a discipline, a physical discipline that trained him to accomplish something difficult in the long run. Well, that's difficult physical matters. Let's talk about difficult spiritual matters. Uh, it's difficult to love your enemies on short notice. I mean, this is, this is just a hard thing to do. It's difficult to bless those who curse you. I mean, just, just observe this during your week or in your own life when you see somebody curse another person or uh, you know, offend them in some way. Watch the dynamics. You know, it's, it's hardly a love fest at those moments. It's usually a downward spiral uh, in there. It's very hard to bless those that curse you, yet this is a spiritual command that we have. It's very hard to avoid judging people just flippantly, easily. I, I'm amazed at the ease of my own ability to judge. I can, you should try just sitting out in a public place and watching people walk by and just noting how you judge them as they go by. It's amazing once you become aware of it. How do we do the, the really difficult spiritual things? That's the question. And I think we have some answers uh, in Scripture on that. In fact, we have to prepare ourselves, uh, much like wax on, wax off, uh, with spiritual disciplines. The Christian church has a long history of spiritual disciplines, and there's a lot of them. Uh, silence and solitude, meditation, the discipline of attentiveness, man, that's a good one. Sabbath-keeping, giving, fasting, these disciplines. And, and I'm going to say a few things about them here in a moment. But uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul was a mentor. He, he basically mentored a lot of people in a lot of churches, and we have a few of his writings left. It's, it's, very, it's a very good thing. He wrote to one of his, uh, he was a mentor to a young man named Timothy. They came from very different backgrounds. And Paul wrote in a letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, uh, he said this. He said, Timothy, if you want to do this, if you want to do the hard spiritual things, here's my advice for you. He said, be at work in the spiritual gymnasium. Now, we typically translate this as train yourself in all godliness, and that's a decent translation. But if you look at the original Greek words, it's, you know, basically be at work in the spiritual gymnasium, an odd little concept there. Physical exercise is useful enough. But the usefulness of spiritual exercise is unlimited since it holds out promise both for life here and the life to come. Being at work in the spiritual gymnasium, wax on, wax off. Maybe you've tried fasting before, and at the end of the day, all you are is just hungry. You go, I don't know. Man. I was supposed to, something really great was supposed to happen, you know, and it just didn't. It was just kind of boring, and I was hungrier. I wonder what happened. Or maybe, you know, there's a discipline that Jesus points to called uh, giving, uh, giving anonymously, actually. Maybe you've tried giving anonymously before. And at the end of the day, uh, nobody knows what happened, and you're just more poor at the other end. You go, well, I wonder, wonder what happened there. Wax on, wax off. This is a long marathon that you're doing spiritual disciplines to engage in. And Jesus actually gives us a list here. I'm just going to point to one list. The spiritual disciplines are all throughout Scripture. But in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, he gives us a fairly 
good guidelines. So these are all the ones you ever try. This, is, uh, this will get you through the rest of your life, I think, in there. But I, last year, I had to teach the Sermon on the Mount twice in Sunday school. Very inconvenient. Uh, you don't want to teach the Sermon on the Mount. You have to take it too seriously. And Jesus in there, he points to four things. He, talk, he points to the study of Scripture as a regular discipline. And then, then right in the center, he, he points to three spiritual disciplines. He, he talks about giving and giving anonymously. He talks about the discipline of prayer. And he talks about the discipline of fasting. And uh, he gives his guidelines. And he, and he does that because he also gives some very difficult commands, like loving your enemies. And Jesus is a very good teacher. He's not going to tell us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do. He doesn't give us a tool set to do. And these spiritual disciplines, you know, the... the study of scripture, the discipline of prayer, fasting, Sabbath keeping, attentiveness, whichever disciplines you choose to engage in will shape you over the long term, very much like wax on, wax off. And the heart that is prepared and capable responds obediently when the chips are down or on short notice. You'll find yourself, by God's grace and Jesus' good counsel, able to love your enemies on short notice, or when people cut you off in traffic, you don't give them sign language anymore, so to speak. Uh, you can actually bless those. Oh, boy, I hope they're okay. Maybe they're on their way to the hospital. You don't know. You'll find yourself able to do that more so at those moments. The heart that is prepared and capable responds obediently on short notice. And so here's what I'll tell you here at the end of chapel. You've got some chapel time left today and some they're going to do some additional things here. And, and you'll either leave 15 minutes older or you'll leave having worked out in the spiritual gymnasium. In fact, uh, you'll finish your chapel experience for the fall here in about five weeks. And you'll either be five weeks older or every time you come to chapel, you'll be at work in the spiritual gymnasium, disciplining yourself, focusing yourself, doing the hard work of getting ready to do the difficult spiritual things whenever they come up your way. So my hope is that in, the, in this chapel and others, you will make the choice deep within your heart to pursue that road and, and, and take those disciplines seriously. Uh, that's my hope for you today. Thanks.
Worship is, is spiritual practice, and the things that we do in any given worship service are spiritual practices, and we do them together. We practice them, and you know sometimes we're just going through the motions, and that's okay in a way. Wax on, wax off. You kneel enough times, and maybe you actually become a humble person. You confess the faith enough with a gathered community, and it comes to be real to you, perhaps, in some day. You tithe enough, and you become a person who's generous and cares about the world. That's the idea. But when you add intention to that, and when you add attention to it, it has the power, I think, to impact us more significantly in the moment. So sometimes we're practicing because of that hard thing we're going to have to do, but sometimes we're practicing, and in the moment we actually have the, the pleasure of knowing God through that practice. We're going to do that right before we leave here. I'm just going to read a verse or two of Scripture. And I want to invite you to be present to it. You know the iPod shuffle that's going on in your head all the time? It's going to keep going as I begin to read. See if you can't turn it off. As I read and it starts again, turn it off and come back and try to be present with the text. Don't debate with it. Don't. It's not a time to sort of argue and think on it. That's appropriate. This is a time simply to receive it. It's called Lectio Divina. It's an ancient spiritual practice. It means divine reading. It's really a way of praying with the scriptures, being present to them in hopes that God will speak to you. I'm going to read it twice. So just listen, be present to it. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will be eternal. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will be eternal. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. Let's stand together and we'll sing our benediction. great day.